Welcome to the Development Policy Centre podcast. In this episode, we bring you the Regional Economic Outlook by Christopher Edmonds of the Asian Development Bank, which was delivered at the 2015 Pacific Update, held at the University of the South Pacific in Suva, Fiji. Uh, thank you and good morning. Uh, a very warm bula. Uh, it's great to be back in Fiji and it's, it's really wonderful to be holding this year's conference here in Fiji. I'm, I'm so pleased by the crowd and I'm, I'm frankly very excited about what I hope will be really useful interactions and, and interactions that will lead to research and uh, development uh, activities down the road. So I think that that's the real benefit of, of this a gathering like this. So this is actually the, I guess, the third year that ADB and, and the other co-sponsoring institutions have worked with uh, uh, ANU and the Development Policy Center in putting on this annual event. And it, hopefully it's something that will continue into the future as an annual forum, and you can all put it on your calendars and think, you know, in July of this year, you know, we'll come together once a year or so and, and, and talk about a range of issues. So, again, I'm so grateful for, for you all to be here and to, to take time out of your busy schedules to, to come here. And I really hope you, you meet people and, and learn some perspectives that will aid your work throughout the rest of the year. Um, it's traditional uh, for, to, to, to open, the, 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 I guess, the meaty part of the, the program for the Pacific Conferences um, with, with a regional economic outlook to sort of have, a, have a, take, a stock take of where things are and what are some of the big issues in the, in the Pacific economies. And um, this conveniently over, overlaps with a, a regular platform that ADB has, which is called the Pacific Economic Monitor, which is a publication we put out twice a year. Um, and copies are available, and this is actually uh, the day in which we're officially launching uh, the July 2015 issue of the Pacific Economic Monitor. Um, and for that, there, there are copies. It's also available on the web. And I'll quickly overview uh, what... what ADB is seeing as some of the leading uh, issues in the Pacific economies. Um, combined with the Pacific Economic Monitor, ADB <coughs> also puts out uh, two issues of the Asian Development Outlook where we also have Pacific sections. So between the, the Pacific, the Monitor and the ADO, we're actually doing quarterly reporting on economic and policy developments in the Pacific. So roughly what I... Uh, plan to talk about is give a brief overview of some of the major international regional developments that seem to be important to the Pacific. Then I'll, I'll briefly touch on some of the country developments that we're seeing. And then um, each issue of the monitor also has a policy theme. And for those themes, we usually try to collect three, three to five uh, short policy briefs, often reporting on much longer works, and have, have different perspectives on a particular theme. The theme for this year's uh, for this this issue is actually the, the impact of disasters, uh, the economic and fiscal impact of disasters. So we have five excellent briefs, um, and the briefs are actually another opportunity for ADB to work with development partner institutions, academic institutions for contributions. And you'll see both of those are in evidence in this issue. So, uh, just get my clock started. In terms of international regional developments, we see global growth strengthening. So, so the overall environment is down. I mean, it's generally positive, but with continued downside risk. Obviously, we have the, the so-called Grexit uh, facing us now. There, there are continuing flashpoints globally in the Middle East, in the Ukraine, in, in the, well, depending upon your perspective, either the South China or, or, or other regions in, in the ocean there. Um, these all represent potential, potential uh, conflicts that could escalate and raise problems 
in the global economy. But in general, uh, we're seeing generally uh, growth outlook. And obviously, the Chinese economy is going through somewhat of an adjustment with, with the massive movements in the Chinese stock market in recent days. But we see Chinese economic policymakers taking strong actions to, to reverse any downward sliding growth, which is pretty much exactly what we predicted in the Asian development outlook, that, that we would see downside to the Chinese uh, growth figure, but that uh, that there was enough fiscal and monetary space in, in China to probably prevent that from getting too serious. Um, another obvious uh, mixed blessing is the soft international commodity prices. For the Pacific, that's generally beneficial because of the, the net import uh, position of most of the Pacific economies, although it is raising problems for the large natural resource exporting economies of PNG and Timor-Leste. And then we see, in general, I guess in keeping with the generally positive climate of, of, of the global economy, uh, we do see tourism to the Pacific maintaining good momentum across the region. Uh, but you can see the figure there just sort of showing what, what commodity prices are doing recently. Um, ADB's forecast is generally that, that we expect the, the low prices to continue for a while. Again, barring, barring one of the downside risks really flaring up that I mentioned. Okay. So the, in terms of the mid-year outlook, revising our growth forecast from the Asian Development Outlook, we see a couple things have, have, have changed the outlook. Um, in particular, we had a couple severe disasters that have, have lowered growth forecasts for a few of the countries. But if you look at that chart on the, on the left of the, the panel, you see actually the Pacific DMCs among the major uh, regional uh, economies, uh, regional areas of the global economy, it's actually the fastest growing uh, region in the world in 2015. Um, and uh, so obviously it's a relatively good for the region, good year for the region as a whole. But um, maybe maybe that should, that any optimism from that should be tempered by the fact that it's really driven by the full, first full year of LNG experts from PNG. So PNG has about a 65% weight in the, in the regional growth average. So it really does tend to drive the growth outcomes. And we've seen over in recent months PNG actually downgrading their growth forecast in line with, with the, the low energy prices. But uh, it's seen as being a relatively good year. Um, by next year, you see that it's not really that Pacific growth is falling next year. It's just that you won't have that one-time burst of the first full year of LNG exports. In other words, uh, PNG's LNG exports next year are in the base, so the growth rate will fall but they'll probably, if anything, be, definitely be exporting more LNG than they are this year. Okay. Um, the, two, the two big events, uh, the most severe was, was the severe tropical cyclone PAM, um, which is estimated to have caused damage equivalent to 64% of Vanuatu's GDP. Most of the main export car-ups of Vanuatu have been, were, were destroyed, um, so, so the copra, coconut, Kava, all these, these, these plantations will, will have to be replanted, and it'll take months to recover those. Um, obviously, uh, Vanuatu has a sizable tourism sector, and basically um, we expect that, that, that that is going to have an adverse effect on growth in Vanuatu as well um, with, with uh, reduced scheduled flights. But actually, we're seeing a recovery in that uh, quite quick. I mean, so, so the resilience and, and, and the ability of the Vanuatu economy to, to, to recover from that is actually uh, probably a little quicker than average. But as a result of the cyclone, uh, we had a pre-cyclone growth forecast of 3% for Vanuatu. But after the cyclone, we're actually predicting a 0.5% uh, reduction in, in GDP for Vanuatu this year. 
Okay. And one, one that may be, may be less familiar, but that affected uh, the, the island nation of the Federated States of Micronesia, was Typhoon Maisak, uh, which, again, wiped out about 90% of the food crops in Chuk and Yap Islands, uh, disrupted food and water supplies, caused a lot of destruction to infrastructure and housing. And again, uh, as a result of that, we, we're predicting that uh, growth will go from, I think, was roughly 1% to 2% predicted to just zero growth this year. In both cases, um, generally you expect uh, by next year with, with some of the spending on recovery efforts um, that, that growth should pick up in these economies. Uh, th those are really the, the two dark spots on the global, glo global growth forecast for the region. But in general, we have a positive outlook for, for other Pacific economies with half the Pacific DMCs. Uh, set to have accelerating growth vis-a-vis -vis 2014. Um, Palau is a, is a standout in this regard. With, with They have had a, an over 50% increase in visitor arrivals over the, the first seven months of fiscal year uh, 2015, which I think ends in June 30. 20, it's en it ended last month. I'm not sure. I can't remember the fiscal year of, of Palau. Um, and that's really being driven by a six-fold increase in, in visitor arrivals from, from the People's Republic of China. Um, but the, uh, this, this is one of those things of be careful what you wish for. So Palau, while it's really spurring growth in the long run, it is causing fairly significant disruptions in, in the economy in terms of uh, concerns about the, the carrying capacity, the environmental sustainability, and also when you have a large influx of a new, new group of tourists, often it can create disruptions in terms of the, the supply chain for other uh, groups. So there's some evidence of that, and fortunately we're very lucky to have some, some very knowledgeable people uh, from Palau who can speak about this in, in, in other sessions. Um, in so Samoa, Solomon Islands, and Tonga, we have recovery from natural disasters. So that, that same phenomenon that I talked about, the, post, the, the year after the cyclone, actually you have an uptake in, in, in growth as a result of the, the, the uh, reconstruction spending. And then in, in Cook Islands and RMI, uh, these very small island economies see higher growth on the back of stimulus from development partner-funded projects. Okay. Um, I had mentioned earlier that PNG's LNG exports are probably maybe one of the single largest factors driving year-to-year uh, -year growth trends across the Pacific region. And the exports commenced in May of 2014. This will be the first full year, um, and it's leading to this one-year one, one spiking growth. Um, but obviously, the, the growth is less than was anticipated because of the relatively low LNG prices globally right now. Um, so the government is, has been cutting its official growth forecast. Um, and so now non, uh, growth in non-mineral sector is projected at about 5% for the country. Okay. In terms of 2016, we see growth in the region to ease back to only about 5% region-wide, um, roughly half of what it was this year, with uh, steady improvements in the smaller Pacific islands, uh, so, and, and the, the, the figure shows what that, that, that the average growth rate excluding PNG and Timor-Leste is. So we see that they're actually doing better. Um, and I guess that's what I'll say about that. Uh, in generally, we see a, a benign uh, inflation outlook um, aided by the, the, the moderate international commodity prices, so that's keeping inflation low across the region, even while we have fairly strong growth. 
Um, nonetheless, inflation is seen to rise to about 4.7%, reflecting the stronger activity, but um, before moderating to 44 percentage points next year. Um, we, again, mainly driven by inflation trends in P&G and the slower growth next year in P&G. Okay. So the, the, the main things and the things that we look at as economists when we're looking at trying to forecast growth um, is definitely the tourism. And uh, we, we, as, I, as I look at the Pacific region, I see Palau is sort of on the cutting edge and maybe Fiji's the next in line in terms of what, what is likely to be coming in terms of a, a wave of more uh, visitors from the People's Republic of China. Um, so a lot of what uh, Palau is experiencing, other countries, and I think Fiji as well, um, will we'll have to, it, it's time to think about how to, how to adjust to that, that new reality, how to take advantage of that market, uh, and how to ensure that um, it's, uh, the new Chinese arrivals are done in a sustainable way that uh, uh, supports the, the domestic industries and, and, and the existing uh, uh, bases of tourism for these countries. Uh, we see development projects um, and basically fiscal expenditure driving growth in a number of economies. Uh, in particular, we see infrastructure, infrastructure projects with development partners commencing in 2016 is, is likely to lead to higher growth in Fiji. And then we see a number of regional initiatives also having an important effect on regional growth rates. And in particular, it's the, the parties to Nauru agreement and the Vessel Day scheme and the rising, rising rates under the Vessel Day scheme for accessing the tuna fishery as, as being a, a key, key factor that's in recent years has been helping and is likely to continue to help some of the smaller, particularly atoll states of the Pacific. And then we also have the, this issue about Fiji re-engagement uh, may, may, may provide impetus to, to restart some, some relatively stalled uh, regional initiatives. So some of the things that my colleague Emma was talking about in terms of regional solutions to some of the problems that the small economies of the Pacific face, with, with Fiji coming again, the, the hub, that, the natural hub that it is, we, we hope that we might see some, some progress there and that there may be, uh, may be real opportunities with, with this re-engagement. And then, obviously, uh, what's happening in terms of resource exports, uh, the prices of key commodities, uh, are the other things that we, we look at closely in, in looking at uh, growth prospects. Obviously, if you think about the economies that really influence where, where, where the, the, the Pacific economies are most linked, um, obviously, it's Australia and New Zealand, first of all. In the North Pacific, it's more Japan than the U.S., but China is another. So, so when I mentioned you know, what's happening in Chinese growth, that's actually an increasingly relevant concern, uh, maybe not directly as much as through its intermediation through the Australian economy. So that's why it, it does bear um, attention to follow uh, developments in terms of growth in, in the Chinese market. Okay. So the policy theme in this year's issue it was uh, the economic and fiscal impact of disasters. And we look at, in general, we've in recent years have seen an increase in the, the frequency of, of extreme climate events. And we, we note, you know, if you look at the impact of these, these events, they, they have both short-term and long-term effects on, on the Pacific economies. Um, the the short-term, you often have the humanitarian crisis and, uh, that, that need to be addressed, but also they can have lasting impacts on the fiscal paths and, and economic paths of the country, particularly if, if in, in efforts to address 
the, the, the destruction caused by natural hazards, governments in the Pacific end up having to divert uh, resources from longer-term things like human resource development or ICT development, then, then that becomes a real drag on, on long-term growth rates in the region. And we see that the Pacific is definitely the region, you know, is disproportionately affected by, by natural disasters. Um, it, it, many countries lie on the ring of fire in terms of earthquakes, and we also have mo many of the countries in the region are in the so-called tropical cyclone belt, uh, which is pictured briefly there. Um, interesting thing. 30, 10 of the top 30 uh, countries with the highest potential losses are located in the region, and five of the top 15 with highest risk from disasters are located in the region. So disasters are part of the economic reality of the Pacific region, and the, the fiscal and economic policies need to take these, these into, effect, into account. Okay? So damage from disasters can be so severe that they can effectively undo or even reverse development gains. And if you, if you examine, I mean, there may be a perception that following disasters, the development community and international partners, philanthropists step in and really help out these economies. So it gives an illusion that maybe, maybe on, on net they could even benefit. But if, if you actually look at the numbers, the amount of assistance flowing into the Pacific countries after disasters, only a small fraction of, of the estimated damage from these disasters. So, so that, that, that's an important reality to keep in mind. And, and it's clear that the, the domestic fiscal resources of, of Pacific countries are, are generally inadequate to meet these needs. So there's a, the, there's a, number, a number of the papers in, in, in the issue to discuss the different avenues for financing for disasters, post-disaster, including you know, in, uh, regional insurance mechanisms, accessing capital, international capital markets, and, and, and such, such measures as that. Um, and it's always a trick to, to try to figure out a common metric to, to put all the damages in, in, a, in, in, in one unit. And the, the paper does that in terms of the, the number of average lives lost, um, life years lost from, from disasters. And again, just highlights how, how truly vulnerable the Pacific is uh, at, uh, compared to other regions of, of the world. Um, Important to uh, improving resilience is that, um, in effect, uh, what, what one, one of the briefs suggests is governments should almost have a proactive policy to sort of flip their government regime pre- and post-disaster. You need to have these mechanisms in place to enable much quicker procurement, distribution, and things like that uh, before the disaster. Because once, once the disaster hits, a lot of the communication and the regular government operations can be uh, interfered with. So uh, disaster management planning is very important. Um, another stylized fact in the disaster thing is that um, investments in, in prevention or uh, ex-ante efforts to reduce the damages are, are way, have much higher returns than what it costs to repair after the fact. So in ADB's case, a major thrust in a lot of our infrastructure development is to make that, that infrastructure development climate-proof. Um, even though that can be close, uh, can be costly. It may look costly. Definitely, it's cheaper to be uh, to, to build a road that isn't climate proof. But with the frequency of disasters, it's easy to work out the economics to, to show that that's actually advantageous. Um, early warning systems are another thing that have very high returns in in, in the disaster management area. I noticed driving up today, there were all the tsunami evacuation paths and everything. That's exactly the kind of thing that we need. So. Uh, a number of measures are discussed. 
So that, that's, that's my presentation uh, for, for today. Um, happy to take questions. So, so what we are planning to do is uh, have some Q&A uh, now, and then by in 10 minutes, I'll, I'll, no later than 10 minutes, I'll, I'll hand the podium over to, to my colleague Stephen House. Thank you. of fiscal buffers and how do you create that fiscal space to, to adjust. I mean, 
the idea of, of Pacific countries self-insuring on this, though, it, it, that's the real puzzle. And the regional effort, uh, PCRAFI effort, has really been been not 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 to the anywhere near what the need is. But at least that that's providing an institutional framework for thinking about this. But clearly. You know, there, there is a, a negative externality of industrial development in, in, in the OECD countries. And so, I mean, I think the, the Pacific have, have a just case for, for seeking compensation at a certain level, and, and they're aggressively pursuing this. <laughs> Hi, uh, my name is Benny. I'm a PhD student here at UCP. This is my final semester. Congratulations. I just want to know if you did any study on impact of climate change on Pacific Islanders' economies. So, uh, yes, ADB, actually, the, there was a previous issue of the monitor, and, and uh, the ADB has done some studies. I think it's, it's more of a study of, of what the potential impacts would be. I mean, that's a very hard thing to measure accurately just because even just the science on what, what, where global sea rise, I mean, the, the, the range of estimates that you have is quite broad. So I think actually that so in many ways the climate science is less determined than the econom economic analysis on that. But there are, there are estimates, and I'm happy to point you to, to some publications on that. Thanks. Nothing else? Last one. Where are we? Perhaps last. Well, I think we are. Thank you, sir, for the presentation. I'm uh, several. Right. Your last slide that should be you recommending uh, those they are not there. Yes. You're you're actually having the good government, sound economic management, and disaster risk reduction in, in terms of uh, trying to mitigate or making up solutions for. For for, a, a, for the disaster that is actually happening now in the Pacific. Oh, uh... Uh, just let me finish, please. <laughs> I, I see that uh, those two uh, bullet points that is actually addressing the national and the regional proposal to try and mitigate. My issue here is what about the global the CO two emission reduction in, in terms of advocacy, in terms of preventing the costs. We are trying to come and have solutions and talk about solutions. Mm -hmm. uh, what about those other issues right up there? Yeah, I, I mean, those, those were prescriptive rather than uh, descriptive bullet points. I mean, and, and a lot of it, it's really reverence to, and one of the policy briefs, they really discuss the way you can, the way the government should, should structure itself and, and restructure itself to, to accommodate disasters. But... Um, again, with, with this idea of uh, emergency regimes that can ensure uh, quick movement of goods to, during the humanitarian crisis period. Uh, more generally, again, transparency in, in fiscal frameworks and, and, the, and the setting aside fiscal buffers, fiscal so trust funds or other things, or setting up your credit lines so that the government can access emergency credit pretty quickly. These are all measures that are discussed and, 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 and suggested as ways to help uh, countries adapt to the risk in the face of, of, you know, basically inadequate international response in terms of assistance post-disaster. Anything else? Okay, sure. Yeah, um, thank you. Uh, you did not make any explicit reference to the issue of energy access uh, in terms of the economic development. And I, here I'm talking about the huge reliance of the Pacific Island countries on imported fossil fuels, if you mm -hmm. remove PNG, as you 
well aware, particularly on the transport sector. Yeah. Whilst in the electricity generation sector, there's obviously um, emphasis on renewables and energy efficiency, and of course that's not coming in in the same uh, rate as one would like to. In the transport sector, which relies on, on the transport of goods, bringing tourists and so forth and so on, and as you know, all of these now will feature in our quest to pursue a low carbon development pathway. So as one of my colleagues here said, the impacts, I mean, I don't necessarily agree that the science is not clear, the science is abundantly clear, and I think the region is recognized as, as, as uh, you know, prone to, to, to disasters, uh, both man-made and natural disasters. But my real question is, how do you think the energy, and of course, it's understood that the recent drop in oil prices is, is very artificial and it's not going to last uh, perhaps beyond next year and, and it will probably give a false sense that you know one, one could sort of develop sustainably uh, given the, 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 the likely, of course, very likely rise in, in, in affordability issues in relation to fossil fuels, uh, particularly in the transport sector, as I said. Thank you. So, so just to clarify, I, I wasn't suggesting that there was ambiguity about the broad conclusions about climate change. Just there was a, a, a wide range of, of parameter estimates in terms of the magnitude of the change. That, they, but I, you know, I'm not a climate change denier by any stretch. Um, <laughs> uh, with this accent, I have to point that out, perhaps. And <laughs> uh, on, on, on the energy question, I mean, so so. I mean, that, that's another part of the project. I mean, as an economist looking at the issue, I mean, uh, carbon emissions from the Pacific, I think, probably wouldn't be high on my, priori my list of concerns. At the same time, freeing yourself from dependence on a sole source of fuel that undoubtedly uh, will become more expensive over time is an important priority. Um, it's actually one that ADB has a very active portfolio to, to uh, help support the development of renewable energies in, in the Pacific region. So that, that's one that I think all the countries are, are firmly behind. And I think you make a very good point when you say that, you know, the, the, the low energy prices we're experiencing now are a bit of a mirage and, and maybe a bad thing and that they're really just buying time and, and giving, giving false hope that you can continue just to generate all your power from uh, uh, fuel, fuel, fire, fuel, fire, uh, fuel fired power plants where we, we know that eventually that will become uneconomic and, you know, also has the uncertain, uh, the unfortunate effect of making renewable energies relatively uncompetitive right, right now. But even in that environment, we're still finding that you can, you can show the long-term economic viability of renewable energies, even, even with the low, low energy prices that prevail. So both, both uh, new technologies in terms of renewable energy and, and you know, the, the, inevitable rise in energy prices long term, I think, mean that the Pacific should be looking for a more diverse energy portfolio, and that, that will, will help um, uh, both, both uh, the growth and, and the disaster resilience of the economies. I mean, one thing with, with a lot of the renewable energies is that they don't tend to re require as much of a reliance on an electrical grid, so you can actually have more dispersed. So if you have a major power plant knocked out, you actually can have power restored more quickly with a, a more diverse uh, sources of generation. For example, so I hope I, I, I addressed your question at least in part. Okay, thanks very much. You. you have been listening to a podcast from the Development Policy Centre. For more information on our work, visit our website at devpolicy.anu.edu.au. To join the conversation on Australian aid, Papua New Guinea and the Pacific, and global development policy 
visit our blog at devpolicy.org. At the blog, you can also sign up to our newsletter for all the latest updates or connect with us on social media. Thanks for listening.